Recorded live from No Exit Studio. It's corrupting the you, 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 you. Speak the truth, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. This is your oath. Corrupting the Youth, an undergraduate philosophy podcast that focuses on the intersection between philosophy and pop culture. It's been a hot minute, but we are back. Uh, as always, I am Dr. Nethery. As always, we are recording from No Exit Studios, and I have some new interns this semester. Uh, only two of them are present at the moment. The next one will be here next time, but I just want them to go around and just give a quick introduction so you know who you are listening to when they speak. I'm Abby. I'm a philosophy major, and I'm also a business major trying to study an HR track, and I'm really interested in all things philosophy. And you do kickboxing. I do, yes. For fun, I don't intentionally want to harm people. Kickbox anybody? Yes. (laughs) Have you, like, sparred? Yes. What's that like? Uh, I have many a bruise, so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Miranda? Um, I'm Miranda Riley. I'm a political science major, a philosophy minor. I'm also interested in a lot of things philosophy related. I think um, it's an all-encompassing subject. I think it relates to anything we do today. Um, I hate to consider myself a weightlifter at this point in my okay. my weightlifting career, but I do um, a lot of that mostly. That's my yeah. sport with quotes around That's it. That's rad. When did you get started doing that? Probably about nine months ago. Okay. Um, I really focus on like legs, like squatting, like getting my max. That's that's all I do. It's pretty lame. But. If you ever do personal training, I might need a little bit of that. <laughs> so uh, on uh, this episode, our theme is authoritarianism, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, our two interns, Abby and Miranda, are each going to talk a little bit about uh, some facets of authoritarianism. We're going to discuss a little bit, and that's pretty much what we're going to do on today's show. So Miranda, why don't you get us started? Okay, so when you Google authoritarianism, um, one of the first things that pops up is this John Oliver video, and it has about 17 million views, and it talks about what he defines as authoritarianism. He says that there's three major characteristics um, of, like, being under an authoritarian leader. Um, The first one is, like, the idea that the leader wants to constantly project strength or the idea of like his country being um, powerful. Okay. He gave like Putin taking shirtless pictures as an <laughs> example. Yes. <laughs> that was my favorite. They brought up the calendar in which he's like riding a horse shirtless and sunbathing mm-hmm. and it was a really good example. Maybe our cover art for this episode should be that picture of Putin. Yes. I'll see if I can work on that. Okay, sorry, Brandon. No, no. And um, he, he gives like the, um, the general things in countries that come to mind like China and North Korea okay and he said not only do they want their country to be perceived as powerful they want themselves so that's like the shirtless picture um, and constantly like projecting ideas of military power or ideas that um, they will not back down in any way and that like it's almost just kind of like a, oh we're just gonna do it like we're just gonna be powerful we're just gonna be strong. Okay. 
Was that was that was the criteria? Yeah, that's that's criteria um, number one. Projecting okay. strength. Okay, what's criteria number two? Um, you demonize enemies. Okay, yeah. So you create or you emphasize an enemy that the leader can like defend or save the country from. Okay. Um, so they might say that, like in Russia's example, they demonized uh, homosexuality. Huh, yeah. They um, said that this was a problem, and um, Putin will do anything he can to make sure that they they're ostracized. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also blame the scapegoat for problems. You can say like, oh, yeah. this is why um, the country is having these problems. It's mm-hmm. um, we're morally bankrupt. Yeah. Okay. And they can also, um, it gives them like an easy way to provide a solution, like an easy solution to the problem. They can say like, well, if we just do this, then we'll be fine. And people, like it's really easy to buy into solutions um, because the world is scary. So if they have like a simple solution, people are like, oh, okay, we'll get behind this person. Okay. So criterion one is projecting strength. Mm -hmm. Criterion two is to have an enemy. Yep. Okay. Demonize enemies. And then the third one is you... If you're an authoritarian leader, you want to dismantle current institutions. You want to, um, like, attack journalists. Okay. Yeah, okay. And you want to attack um, the court system. Okay. Put people in the court system that are on your side. So you kind of, like, make sure you're controlling from the inside out. Okay. And what does this accomplish? So if you accomplish all of those things as an authoritarian leader you should start to have a lot more control over your country from the inside and you should also have a lot more control over the way people are perceiving your country okay okay so the whole point then all of these criteria kind of move to one idea that you are supposed to you the authoritarian leader are supposed to be it Mm-hmm. Right. Everything hinges on you. You are the exemplar of power. You are the one that's going to defeat the enemies. You are the ones that should be supported through your government. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Why do you think... Now, as we've seen, authoritarianism is seductive. Mm-hmm. Why do you, what do you think is seductive there? In terms of... Because I think all those three criteria are supposed to seduce us. Yeah. I think the main things are... I think they all kind of feed into each other. Like, okay. I think if you... Are you have that goal of becoming uh-huh. an authoritarian leader? I kind of thought of like the straw man fallacy, like okay. in logic for the second point, like demonizing or like fabricating yeah. enemies, even. And that kind of plays into power. Like if you're not already in a position of mm-hmm. power or you don't have a way to get into power yeah. in that type of way, like you can create an enemy out of nothing mm-hmm. and then attack that enemy until you seem strong enough to take down real enemies. Do you think this is something natural about human beings that we find this seductive? Or do you think this is just the way that, I don't know, social political political society just has been in Western Europe for a while? I think it's partly just something that we're drawn to. Like some of the other stuff I found was just that authoritarian leaders like really play on emotions as opposed Mm -hmm. to facts. Mm -hmm. And we're drawn to that as people. And I think I can't remember where I found it, but it was just the idea that. um, Oh, where is it? It's just the idea that like authoritarian regimes like build on emotional connects connections over mm-hmm. factual connections yeah. and they try to get people used to hearing what they want to hear so they pick something that they can demonize mm-hmm. and then they attack it and then they get people used to hearing yeah. what they want to hear in those regards sure. enough that people 
start to not care about the facts as much as yeah. what the leaders are. So I think there's out. there's two kind of philosophical things going on here. So, you know, when we learn logic, one of you know, it's 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 a little bit of a misrepresentation. Like emotions have something to do with truth, right? It's disingenuous to say that they don't. Yeah. But at the same time, if I can use emotive language, those sorts of things when I'm trying to persuade you of something, I can bypass the critical thinking part. Yeah. Why? I think the answer comes from Francis Bacon, an early modern philosopher. So in a book called The New Organon, Francis Bacon argues that you know, between human beings and truth, there stand a bunch of obstacles. One of the obstacles is that part of, the, he says, the warp and the woof of the human mind is confirmation bias. We want to, uh, we will think something is true if we want to, if we want it mm -hmm. to be true. And I think, um, I don't know if Miranda said it at first, but what we want is a simple world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So part of critical thinking, part of logic and those sorts of things is to understand that the world is much more complex than it, than it appears to you mm -hmm. and to appreciate that complexity, right? Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what this levels. Yeah. It tries to make a complex world simple. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Good. All right. What else do you have, Miranda? So um, I was kind of interested in the way that like the right-wing politics are kind of attached to authoritarianism. Um, I wouldn't say it's like completely fair, but I found this article that talks about three kinds of conservatism. Okay. And it's by Karen Stinner. Okay. And she has three um, definitions for conservatism. There's status quo, which means um, somebody who has like an inclination to favor stability and mm -hmm. preservation of the status quo over social change. Mm -hmm. That's okay. number one. Yeah. Um, so stability over social change. Okay. And then there is laissez-faire conservatism. It's a persistent um, preference for a free market and li limited government intervention in the economy. Okay. And then there's her third, which is um, a favor. It favors obedience and conformity over freedom and difference. Okay. Sure. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. Um, so she really focuses on um, status quo mm -hmm. conservatism in comparison to authoritarianism. Um, mm -hmm. Status quo conservatism is the resistance to change over time, and authoritarianism is actually the aversion to change over space or um, diversity of people and beliefs, according to her. Oh, that's interesting, a time versus mm -hmm. space argument. So can yeah. you rehearse that again? Do yes. that again. <laughs> um, so... Status quo conservatism is the resistance to change over time, okay. and authoritarianism is the aversion to change over space, which she defines diversity of people and beliefs. Oh, so like a homogeneity. Yes. Oh. Um, she thinks they, inter really they intersect at both have a resistance to change. Good. Okay, sure. Um, authoritarians fear uncertain futures and confronting new experiences. And status quo conservatism, conservatists are intolerant to things that disrupt the status quo. Okay. Okay. So do you know if, like, by her theory that the status quo um, conservatives would be opposed to both types of change, like both the temporal and the, like, no, spatial change? Or are there, like, maybe groups that are opposed to one kind and not another? That's exactly what she says. Okay. She says that, like, authoritarians might restrict free speech, put restrictions on the internet, provoke racial discrimination, 
but conservatives are going to support the status quo at the current time and call for maybe one of those things without calling for all of them. Oh, okay. That's interesting. You know what this makes me think of? Like, it's not, I could see conservatism, you know, as like a political movement being a kind of uh, outcropping of a kind of conservatism that a lot of human beings already have. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking here of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, letter from Birmingham jail, mm -hmm. where he says, I'm starting to think that the biggest stumbling block to equality is not the Ku Klux Klan, but what he calls the white moderate, yeah. which includes both Democrats, Republicans, progressives, mm -hmm. and conservatives. And he says, because what they want is a kind of uh, peace that is an absence of tension. Yep. They yeah. don't want to see things change. The status quo. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep it. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Why do we have such an aversion to change? I don't know. I think it's scary. You know, they always say that, like, change is scary. Yeah. Change is, like, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I know for my mom, she's older. Um, anything that's, like, super surprising or new, like, she is just, like, f like flabbergasted. Like, she can't believe it. And mm -hmm. it's just, like, like us, we're so exposed to, like, social media. So we're like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. happened. Do you think it's like the concretization of experience over time? You mm -hmm. know, like think of David Hume or somebody where yeah. habit is where uh, cause our understanding of causality is like comes from habit, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. So the more and more I experience something and the more and more it's the same, the harder and harder of a time I'm going to have. Yeah. This also makes me think of Buddhism. Right. So for yeah. the Buddhist, what is what is one of the sources of suffering for the human being that we don't accept change mm -hmm. because the world is just change that's mm -hmm. it it's always changing yeah. so i make myself suffer if i'm like oh i'm this type of person right and then i try to make myself that type of person across all changes he mm -hmm. says that's going to make you miserable mm -hmm. yeah and i think that aversion to change i think that we see it as so strange with the generations before us but especially in America, like even just like coming from a business point of view, like there's been such a shift from like having a career for 50 years and mm -hmm. like having the same type of lifestyle, living in the same town that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. And now like there's a shift toward like the gig economy and mm -hmm. just like moving around more and being mm -hmm. able to be more mobile. And mm -hmm. I think we're a little more used to change now because mm -hmm. we live different lifestyles than the majority of Americans have been living for the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder even then, like, for y'all younger generations, you're still going to get certain experiences sedimented. Yeah. You're going to expect them. Mm -hmm. So even then, I bet there will be some types of change oh, sure. that will drive you wild yeah. when you're when you're older. For sure. Yeah, that's oh, good. Yeah. Rand, did you have anything else? We switched to Abby. Yeah. All right. Down. Abby. All right. Hello. Um, okay. So I really started diving into Plato because I couldn't get his whole um, progression of governments out of my mm -hmm. head while I was thinking about So we're this. talking about uh, Plato's Republic. Yes. Where Socrates is trying to argue for what the perfect, the most the perfectly just city would look like. Yes. And at that time, the Athenian government, I think, was a pure democracy and not the type of democracy that we have now, but it also didn't I account for... I think it was for, a democracy by lottery. Yeah, yeah. But it also didn't account for over half of the population of humans that lived there. So it yeah, wasn't really exactly a democracy, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was probably theoretically as close as mm -hmm. you get to democracy okay. but 
I thought it was really interesting that um, in the list of governments that he gives, um, there's like tyranny, oligarchy, democracy, and those are the selfish types that he gives, mm -hmm. but they all feed into each other. And I was trying to figure out where um, authoritarianism would fit into mm -hmm. that. And I think it, at first I thought it would only fit into the um, tyranny. Mm -hmm but I think it also can fit into democracy and oligarchy because I found um, a little more research and I think it was from Timothy Snyder, okay. but he talks a little bit about how it's not just important to look for authoritarian like regimes or governments, but to also look for authoritarian behaviors among leaders oh. of democratic states or oligarchies sure. because it, Authoritarianism doesn't just exist in states that declare authoritarianism or yeah. tyrannical leaders that yeah. are already in place. It exists wherever there's authoritarianist behavior okay. occurring. Sure, sure, So sure. it was interesting to like try to look at those forms of government through the lens of like just authoritarian behavior, like mm -hmm. John Oliver mentioned, yeah. like those kinds of yeah three things. Yeah. So what'd you find? I think. Well, I was kind of questioning this because I think we think we live in a democracy right now, but I'm trying to like I'm trying to grapple with what type of government we actually live in and I know we did that in social political mm -hmm. but I don't know. It was Yeah, so let's rehearse the argument. So let's yeah. first start out with with kind of the mainstream that play, that Plato was arguing. So for the ancient time was cyclical. Yeah. Right? Not linear, but cyclical. That yeah. doesn't mean there was the repetition of the same, but like the seasons. The mm -hmm. seasons repeat, but they're always different from each other. So Plato thought that you had these like four or five basic forms of government that would uh, kind of collapse into each other. And then once you got to the end point, it would start at the beginning and you have these things collapse into mm -hmm. each other. So I think the, the, the interesting part is the change from democracy to tyranny. Yeah. Because remember, he says something like, and I'm just paraphrasing this argument. I, an actual ancient Greek specialist would be able to say it's way better than me. I'm not that, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna rehearse it, a cartoon sketch of the argument. But it's something like this. So Plato says, you in a democracy, you kind of have a zoo of people, right? Because mm -hmm. you have one side, you know, you have a majority thinks that justice is this type. You have a minority that thinks justice is this, and due to the way that democracy is set up, the majority is always going to win, and that's always going to piss off the minority, right? So you will have this situation come to kind of like a complete uh, just chaos, and what's going to happen, he says, is that a champion of the poor will rise, somebody mm -hmm. who can guarantee, and here he doesn't say it, but I would wonder, sameness. Yep. Yeah. Right? So in this case, the tyrant is the early authoritarian. They're the person who's coming in to guarantee mm -hmm. that, no, I will make everything homogenous. I will make everything the same rather than this zoo chaos yeah. that you live in right now. And they offer a simple solution. Yeah, they offer a simple solution to a complex <laughs> yeah. problem. Good job, Miranda. Yeah, that's totally right. That's totally right. So I think that's where we would find it. Yeah. Now, even starting up from the top of the chain from you know the collapse of his perfect government what i think is sometimes called democracy mm -hmm. into aristocracy or oligarchy i forget which comes next is always going to be some kind of love of money yeah <laughs> yep so my next question is how often is authoritarianism 
a way to get money. I think because it's born out of those types of governments that revolve around money, I think Mm -hmm. generally they do. But I also think it, I don't know, there's like two sides of it. I think it could come out of a capitalistic type of Mm -hmm. notion, but I think it could also come out of like a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. Because I know we've talked about that a lot and like that's kind of what we're seeing in China right now is just this like it's a whole structure heavily based on meritocracy and Social it is credit system. yeah and it is authoritarian but in a way that that really values like a push toward toward long-term planning which is like strange for us to think about because yeah. our way of thinking now is like we're very into checks and balances so mm-hmm. we move a little slower but I think I lost my train of thought. I just started going off on I honestly just start talking and I have no clue where I'm going sometimes and then my head what? goes off. Here's a question. Let me, see, let me try to figure out how to phrase it. Um, is it always in the authoritarian dictator tyrant's best interest to not appear authoritarian? So I'm wondering if like we have a split intuition sometimes. We want the world as easy to be easy, but we don't want somebody to control us. You know what I mean? So are there ever times you think that authoritarians gaslight a little bit? Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. it's a lot like Machiavelli's The Prince. Like, oh, good. You have to kind of like be perceived as um, feared, but not too feared. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. M- merciful, but not too merciful, or yeah. you'll appear as weak. You kind of just have to have the right balance of like, you know, trying to make your audience perceive you the way they want you to be, be perceived, but also, I, I was going to say not let the people that don't like you hate you, mm-hmm. but it seems like that's kind of gone out the window. Yeah, that has gone out the window. Like yeah. you, you can hate me. You know, yeah, you can hate me. I'm in charge. That's yeah, kind of, yeah. we're seeing that shift, but yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know where also the shift to totalitarianism comes in, because that is what that's reminding me a little bit of, like when they hold back in order to like make their idealistic um form of society seem appealing to other people instead of just going full-on hardcore like Mm -hmm. for political reasons Mm -hmm. but actually like trying to set up a form of ideals instead of just politics do you see american social and political culture moving more towards a yearning or acceptance of totalitarian of uh sorry authoritarianism Uh, i mean if plato's right we're a zoo yeah I mean, we're a zoo of personalities, a zoo of ideas. Yeah. I think there's always that kind of, I mean, I think it happens every election that there's this like longing for one candidate or one person that is going to like either keep things the same that we want them to or bring about the change that we want them to. And I think it's just a question of whether or not that like leader that you lean toward ends up being an authoritarian dictator or ends up being the philosopher king that Plato wants. Like, because we all, we all think that they're going to be the philosopher king and that they're going to bring about the right kind of change. But then more often than not, it turns out that they are still just working in their interests. So to tie it back, I think um, actually before we started recording, we were sitting here talking about polarization. Mm -hmm. I also think that's, I mean, that's not specifically what Plato has in mind, but I think you could read it in there, Mm -hmm. right? 51% of of America, the United States of America, thinks things should be this way. Yeah. 49% thinks that it should be this way. Mm -hmm. How do you adjudicate that? Yeah. Right? 
Right. And isn't that just going to lead to more and more polarization? And then who are we going to try to elect, you know, somebody who could end that polarization? Yeah. I mean, but is it about ending it? Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it works in people's favor. Right. And like, like this John Sturdmill on Liberty, yeah. that's like his argument that you have to, you know, cater to both sides at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to ensure um, individual opinions and individual freedoms and I think maybe sometimes we get too caught up on oh we're so polarized we talk about this all the time mm -hmm. in uh, senior sem like oh we're so polarized like Trump has just made it where Republicans can't tolerate Democrats and Democrats can't tolerate Republicans yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I don't think that's so much the case is it's just people are tired of accepting like yeah. what's like other people's opinions. I don't know. I don't think we're more polarized. I just think maybe we're we're less tolerant. I know that's almost the same thing. Maybe we should do polarization as a oh, as another. Yeah, I think that's a whole. Thing yeah, to I think we should do that as a theme um, for another episode because another really th interesting thing to talk about in that regard is the epistemological problem, mm -hmm. especially over the recent impeachment trial. There have been some people that are saying, look, you have two people, two different groups with two totally different set of facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, you know what I mean? Like, and that's part of that polarization, yeah. right? I'm not going to agree with you because you are just wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's partially an epistemological problem. Yeah. Which then ties into other problems of post-truth, mm -hmm. right? Those sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh boy. Well, and the argument is: Are we just more exposed, and that's we're make, it's appearing as over polarized, mm -hmm. or is there actually a like a line in the middle, just getting like bigger and bigger and yeah. pulling the two sides apart? I don't know. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are we too, like, more aware of everything people stand for now and yeah. every, on each side, and now we can attack line by line? Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know, because I don't know if I see more of, like, people being more aware of the truth of what other people think or people now, like, reshaping their beliefs mm -hmm. to fit one side or the other instead of more of a spectrum um, of... Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know which... Yeah. It's like, are you blue, are you red, or are you a Democrat with these ideals or a Republican with yeah. these ideals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've seen some people, like, give up on certain things just to fit one mold mm -hmm. because the mm -hmm. rest of those things yeah, yeah, go along with yeah. what they believe. Well, hey, let's save that for another episode. Yeah. We'll yeah, talk about please. polarization <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Everybody, thank you for listening. This is Corrupting the Youth. We will be back uh, sometimes in the, sometime in the future, hopefully on a regular basis at some point. But, you know, we're just getting our shit together. We're figuring it out. So uh, until next time, later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Game over.